hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Beat podcast. The mission of our podcast is to show the real life challenges of implementing technology in healthcare. And the podcast is sponsored by Demigas, a company that develops IT solutions for healthcare startups and companies. And you can check more on demigas.com. My name is Ivan Dunsky, and I'm joined today by an honored guest, Rodney Ryder, a managing partner at Intelligent Strategy Group. For more than 25 years, Rodney has been involved in the healthcare industry, serving as president and CEO. Now, Rodney serves as a consultant, providing strategic guidance to diverse healthcare organizations that identify, accelerate, and deploy advanced technologies and medical device products to improve patient care and operational efficiency. And in addition, his experience provides specialization work for financial and operational performance improvement services in the healthcare industry, such as mergers and acquisitions, coaching management transitions, and financial revenue enhancement operations. Dr. Ryder writes numerous articles on innovation and leadership and authored a book titled Grabbing the Next Wrong, The Heart of Leadership. Rodney, thank you for joining. How are you today? Thank you, Ivan. Better than ever. Thanks Thanks for asking. Thank you for the opportunity. This is kind of exciting. I was looking forward to speaking with you and your audience, so I appreciate this very much. Yeah. Could you please tell us about your current project? What are you currently working on? Gosh, I'm, I'm working on quite a few things. I have had a chance in the last couple of weeks, actually the last couple of months, in fact, last night, I'll say, I spoke to a, a chief nursing officer, one of the best in, I believe, in the nation, and talked to her about kind of the, the steps you take on strategy for ERs, for flow across an organization, some of the issues they're running into with the high volume, and some of it being COVID, but mostly it's just normal, the normal business. Earlier in the day, I was talking to somebody about the strategy of growing the business. We went through all the different pieces to not only set up our structure, but also to grow the business itself. I've been dealing with a lot of startups lately, a lot of startups that are just really incredibly passionate and knowledgeable about certain portions of the business that will be really helpful to hospitals and health care organizations across, uh, say, the country, but also the world. And some of them are really fascinating. So I could say a range of things, a lot, lot of different things, efficiency, operations, strategy, and then uh, the growth side. So did I get it right that you work more with this kind of technology solution startups rather than with providers? I've been doing it all, actually. Okay. It just depends on the flow. Being a hospital CEO for all these years and actually health system, which included clinics and long-term care and home health and all that piece, I've been able to see where all these different portions may fit in from the AI side or the technology side. And I think this is the best time to be working in healthcare because of what technology is doing. It's changing the world and it's helping those that are making decisions within the provider side, but also within the, the payer side to really have some avenues they never had before to provide better care or better access for the patients or even better monitoring or you know all the things you can think of that we could walk through and, and I'm sure we're going to get to, but it's actually a great time to be in healthcare. Hard thing that administrators are or people that are making the decisions is which ones there's so much good stuff some they're aware of and some they're not so in terms of the technology people how do you better educate those that are making decisions and that seems to be where I come, i'm coming in a lot lately is helping them to decide i work for some large venture capital firms and they brought me in i've met with one time one week 18 different companies and those 18 companies that i was speaking with i was really 
discerning, you know, what the capabilities were, but also where they could actually have an impact in healthcare because the venture capitalists were trying to decide which ones they should invest in. So I met with 18, did follow up with five that same week, and then really recommended three that they should invest in because I thought that would make the biggest difference. So exciting times, great times, changing the world. So technology is a place to be. Right. And, and what kind of, maybe if you can classify the biggest challenges that you see that healthcare organizations face right now? There are a number of them. I mean, you have the usuals. You've got always the financial challenges. You've got the staffing mm -hmm. challenges. You've got you know, different things that, that have been evolving through the COVID situation. But I think most of the systems that work that stuff out, they have instant command and oversight, walk through that. And it's most of that is now, or a lot of that is, you know, they're coming with, with COVID, not because of COVID. So there's other things going on. But the advancement on the virtual visits has really gone well. And that's been a, a piece I think people had to ramp up on. And I, I'm saying what's good right now. There's lots of good things. But the, for example, the originally one of the systems I was running about 3,500 visits a year on, on virtual visits. And then suddenly, once we started going through the pandemic side, we're doing you know, 35,000 a month. I mean, it really ramped up in a rather quick amount. Mm -hmm. Part of it, people don't want to sit home. Other people needed care. You know, you figure out ways to do it. And so, mm -hmm. and actually getting reimbursed for it too, uh, of course, was a, an additional incentive for us and our, our physicians. All good stuff. I think the, the challenge is now is how do you advance on that? How do you continue to improve? How do you look at, and I'll give you a quick example. Your ER gets backed up and the fact that you've got a floor that's already full, your ICU is, ICU is already packed. How do you help that efficiency? There's a tool we can bring in, which I think there are some great tools to help us with that efficiency, both for staffing, but also for the ability to get the patients where they need to be. I've seen some really, really cool stuff that looks at coming in the ER, the predictive analytics, how soon until they're admitted. And then I've looked at some information or capabilities from some of the companies I've spoken with that can do that same thing, the AI machine learning predictive analytics for the floor, both for when they should be discharged, but even some things that we're not always aware of that can be a real real supplement to care, which is, hey, within you know five hours with what the, the patients received in terms of medication, there could be a drug interaction. Be aware of that. Maybe intervene sooner so they don't, not maybe, intervene sooner so they don't go some, through something that's mm -hmm. going to be worse for them. All that stuff helps. So if you think about the flow in a hospital, those are always issues that occur for a hospital itself. Then you've got a broader level and you say, all right, a patient's been seen in the clinic. How do you make sure that information gets to the people that are caring for them in the hospital or vice versa? That patient is discharged. How do you make sure that clinic, that physician that's providing oversight has that information? So we've been able to move a lot in the EHR world, but we're still not really taking all that data and using that data to make the best decisions that we could yet. You know, the, the things that say, here's an indicator. How do we compile that data to say, when you have these type of components in care, here's what you should be doing in terms of the type of care. So you could be looking at data, the data that we have and saying, what else could we do with it? And I don't think we're taking advantage of all that with combined EMRs. So you asked me what, Kind of with problems but there's a lot of additional solutions we could be providing that we're not really into yet and that's where i think the technology is providing such great things and i'll give you a couple more examples the ai side that's going on for say uh, imaging and saying here's some predictive pieces that you could look at that even screen out so 
you know, for breast cancer, for example, 6% of women have, have dense breasts. Here's a way of using a machine that says, all right, so we're not going to have the false positives. We don't have to do as many biopsies. So therefore the technology can be provided that patient has a, uh, an answer sooner from the caregiver, right? From the physician, but also they don't go through unnecessary procedures. And you know what else? It's actually less costly. So it being cheaper provides a win for everybody all around. Better care, lower cost, right? And right care, right place, right time. So the technology pieces that we need to be putting in, and so I say that as a positive because those are issues, but how can we do it better? Where can we step in to improve the care? Where can we improve the access so the patient gets in sooner? And the fact that you can have a patient discharge, maybe we are using some monitoring equipment that keeps the, the care team involved and maybe even the family members involved, that all spreads out the care outside of the walls of the clinic or, or hospital. And I think that's what technology is doing so well, but we can continue and improve. And we need to make sure that the providers are aware of all of it. And that's one of the pieces that I think are more difficult. And you mentioned, I think, very important topic about education. How do you see this problem could be solved that in some places paper charts are used? And that's very hard to actually to have this adoption of the technology. So technology is advanced, but some people, some physicians, some clinicians don't want to use it. Like, How do you see that could be solved? Yes, I've gone through that a number of times and a number of organizations and, and you know, done implementation both on the clinic side of an EHR, right, electronic health record or electronic medical record. Same with hospitals, taking out all these disparate systems that maybe don't speak as well together and putting mm -hmm. in one overall tip. So you have that interoperability. Initially, it's a tough sell because everybody's pretty comfortable with what they're using. If you mm -hmm. have paper, you know where it's at. You know, it's not difficult. You just pull out the chart. You can read it. You don't have to spend so much time typing in the chart. And mm -hmm. we've got almost all complete to electronic records in the U.S. And I've seen that's not the case in other countries I've been, but in the U.S., uh, the doctors now complain that they're really made into a scribe. They sit in front of the computer so much of the time typing, right? And so how do we not only convince them or share with them that the benefit is to them and the patient mm -hmm. and the rest of the health care continuum, right? But also their times being used wisely. So how do we make it so it's more efficient? Can we use, you know, voice more than we're doing in terms of the typing? And that seems to be, you know, Dragon and some of these other systems continue to advance in terms of them being able to use voice commands and such, voice uh, scribes, we need to continue to improve that so they see the advantage. So what's in it for them? That's really the key, right? Why would you want to go from paper to the technological advancements? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Easier for you to get information later on. You can pull up a chart from anywhere in the world. You're on vacation, you have to look up something, right? Rather than calling, trying to track down the chart. More than one person can be in the chart at the same time. So you can have different conversations across the different caregivers. You know, a, a couple of different physicians can pull it up and be looking at it at the same time, information from that chart. It's the best way to go. And then it's a compilation of all that information over the care of that person's lifetime, frankly. They come in the ER, they've had uh, open heart surgery, they've gone to the clinic, and now you can have a better picture of the individual to make better decisions provide better care. And that, I think that's the way to go. And then that's that mining of that data I was mentioning earlier to take that data from this person over here and this person over here, obviously it's all confidential, but saying, well, what's the best outcomes when this person shows up with this kind of, of symptom? We've compiled all the data and that recommendation is blank because that's always the best outcomes as opposed to 
you know, a lot of it's good because you have the art of medicine, but if you can have the data or the analytics to support that or even supplement or perhaps change people's mind, this is a better way for care. That's where we can mine that data to make better decisions. You only get that through having that data compiled someplace. And that's where the electronic portions come in to be able to do what's right for the patient and for the community. So you, you can make the sell to clinicians if you show the value and what, what is the holistic value of using the technology. Maybe not right now. Yes, you need to enter the data, but then this data will give you this value. On the health system, when I was running a hospital in California, and one of the patients went to Florida for vacation and mm -hmm. ran into an issue, and because we could and i had to prove it that's why it came up but it was able to be shared for that patient to get better care in florida because they had full information of the care they'd received while they were in living in california if otherwise it's the physician only seeing what they know at the time and what the patient can remember to tell to the physician and i've worked in er's and, and all that kind of stuff and or's myself er's in terms of, of helping as as different levels but You'll have people come in and it's nobody's fault, but they may be taking a lot of different meds and they'll be asked, you know, so what are you taking? Well, I take the blue pill on Mondays and the you know pink pill on Tuesday, but that, what does that really mean? So how do we help that information make sure that the, the patient is getting the best care they can because everybody has the ideal information to know what that patient is already taking medication wise and you know, all the different pieces that make up that person as a specific individual. We want the care to be individualized for what that patient needs. And the more information you have, the better decisions you can make. Yeah. And could you share maybe a little bit more about this case, how you have this organization to handle more volume? What is the solution to, to this problem? Because I think that that is also a big problem throughout the, the country and throughout different healthcare organizations. Yeah, it's a common theme. I was helping one area to look at it from a broad view, saying, all right, so you got a lot of people showing up in the ER. I'll take the, the bigger strategy piece to start with. And you're saying, but we have a lot of volume and, and we need to do construction on our ER to make it bigger. But maybe a lot of those patients coming into the emergency room or emergency department themselves could be getting care someplace else. Is there something we can do to intervene sooner? So we look at that data and say there's a way to help support them through having people that and reach out. We had one market I was at. We had a lot of people coming in because they had a problem managing their diabetes um, issues and some other healthcare issues that they really didn't need to be coming in the ER. So we went out and said, let's put a clinic out in that area and take care of these people in that area rather than having them drive for an hour. So that's a little mm -hmm. more expensive way, but it's less expensive than building a bunch of new rooms on the ER. Plus the family and the, the patient themselves don't have to drive, right? You don't have the issues with an hour. They're also not taking up a spot in the ER where you could have a higher level of care need, right? Somebody's in a car accident and you have somebody with something that could have been taken care of someplace else and you can't get that patient in as quickly as you'd like. So that's one, one issue. Sometimes the uh, need is just to build more urgent cares because they're lower level patients coming in the ED. So one place I helped build a number of urgent care based on, it's called hot spotting. Where are some of the areas that you're seeing these people come in from that you can deal with the care? So both intervening with maybe some people, not maybe, we put people in to do calls and check on the patients once they'd been in, so they didn't come back for continual repeat visits. But also we decided it made sense to put some urgent cares in these areas. 
to say mm -hmm. that is an, this is an area that, that is a need. And then uh, an additional piece, then once you get in the operational side and these patients are coming into your hospital, how do you make sure that they're seen efficiently, obviously high quality, safe, all those type of things, and then get to the unit that they need to on a, on a, a very appropriate basis? How do you turn over the rooms fast enough on the floor? I want to pull that patient up sooner rather than ER having to push them up saying, we need a bed, let's go. So you help the connection from the ER and the units themselves. So the units say, we need to really support the ER and bring that patient up to free them up to see the next patient rather than a patient staying down in the ER for 15 hours or 20 hours. Mm -hmm. So it's an efficiency issue. It's also, and I mentioned earlier about the predictive side, if you can look at that. So there, it's the strangest thing in, in hospitals, but You'll see it with other industries as well, but there becomes a pattern. Certain days of the week, it's busier. Certain times of the mm -hmm. day, it's busier. Yep. So how do you look at that trend, right, and staff appropriately for that to make sure the patient's getting seen at the right time, right place, in an appropriate manner, and the floor is taking it as well? So I'm kind of giving the broad level, but I got mm -hmm. really involved in details in terms of the staffing, the capabilities, uh, which rooms were open, what technology we had, what's the indicators for the technology, and sometimes the ER is just waiting on lab results or something like that. So how do we improve all the support around that? Maybe we move, and I've done this before, we move the imaging services down into the ER rather than having the transported from the ER over on the other side of the hospital to get their um, imaging service portion, their CT exam, whatever. Let's put a CT, let's put MRI in the ER and have it be used there. So that's a turnover thing. You're, you're talking turnover a lot, which is the efficiency side. But it's really a support mechanism. How do I support the caregivers so that they're getting the tools they need to provide the care at the time? And so that's the, the analysis that I've done has gone through each area and said, here's what we need to do to support them to get the actual patient where they need to be as quickly as possible. And that helps the efficiency of the, the ER. And what about telemedicine? Is it instrumental also to solve this issue? Thanks for bringing that up. So I, I alluded to that earlier, but if you think about the hospital walls or the clinic walls, you know, the four walls, how do you extend the care of the patient outside of those walls? And I always work with the team and talk about, we put the patient in the center and we build the infrastructure around them. That changes your whole focus of how you look at that patient, what the needs are. It's not just when they show up in the ER, it's not just when they show up on the floor or, or direct admit, it's saying, what do they need where they are now? And how can we reach them? Telemetry has been key. And, and one of the places that I was the CEO for, what we did was as a team, we looked at, all right, what would be the, the greatest need? So we've got a, a level one trauma center. We've got all these things that in, in the U.S. it means that it's the highest level of care. So your highest level is shipped in by, you know, ambulance, of course, but by helicopters, it's where you have your, your neurosurgeons on call 24-7. You have a, a trauma team that lives in the hospital every day. And that's the, not only surgeons, but a whole team that are on call staying in the hospital you go through each specialty they're all available and and it costs a lot of money to keep them available but it's the right thing to do because you're doing that higher level of care so you have all that piece but then you have some that is hey they had an emergency they had a hip fracture do they need to come back to the hospital for that follow-up visit because they may mm -hmm. have come in by helicopter no not necessarily they can do their follow-up visit by a telemetry right so how do we set it up so they can get that follow-up visit how do you take the expertise of that higher level of care, all those neurosurgeons and, and cardiac surgeons and other people, and take that and say, how do I spread that around 
the rest of the nation say well you do it through telemetry because now you have a tool that you can take that expertise they come into a hospital maybe not as high acuity capable and so you can take that expertise at the high level of care hospital and now you have it available at that lower level of care hospital so you can take that expertise spread it around and that's telemetry provide has provided so much of that that has been a great great care for people in, in remote communities, but also in, in communities that just don't have that kind of expertise or have not been able to afford to bring that, that type of specialty. That's a great question. It's key for the future. A lot of companies are good at that. And actually we were doing it on our own and we ended up hiring one of the uh, system I oversaw in Idaho and Oregon, a couple states, pretty remote. Same with when I was in Wisconsin. Uh, I don't know if it matters to say the states, but these are, are rural states in a lot of areas. and so. They would have a long ways to drive, tractor accident, those type of things. Now you have that telemetry expertise that you can provide for a person in an area that maybe had an emergency at a place that has that same capability. So you set up that capability, which is the other side of telemetry, right? The technology so that they can be seen. It's worthwhile. One, one more piece on that. Uh, I've seen a, a company out of Israel I was working with that took the, the treatment team and provided it to the home after a procedure and that way maybe you have an elderly parent or something the family member is able to hear everything the patient has heard in the hospital or in the clinic and so the treatment team gets on video and says regularly we're going to you know meet every hour is checkup and you have a nurse there mm -hmm. interacting with the staff on a regular basis chicken visit something yes, like that. yes. Uh -huh. yeah it's worked really well cool yeah it's helped a lot so some clinics have a lot of physicians, a lot of advanced practitioners. They're seeing patients and when they have a lull, say they're not, maybe not as busy, doesn't happen that often, but that's where you put in your virtual visits so they can fit in different times. So it keeps them so they're able to see patients throughout the day. And sometimes that some clinics like that a lot because that way there's no downtime in terms of the patients being seen or mm -hmm. physicians or advanced practitioners being able to see patients. And um, a little bit more uh, on this topic, what do you think is essential kind of features or what telemedicine solutions should have to be accepted by clinic or hospital? Mm, that's a great question. If I could back up on that, you know what is really helpful, and we don't have enough of those, is a technology roadmap. Mm -hmm. And providers... I think need more help with that roadmap so they can plan ahead for that. And that's, I think we're telemedicine rather than us reacting, it'd be part of the plan and, and continue to upgrade over the years. Because the upgrade, I think, portion is important. So it's the accessibility, so a patient can have easy in their area to be seen. And so we, for example, connect with our hospitals, that's fairly easy because the technology is available, but maybe they're even further from a smaller hospital in their area. So there's a clinic you set up for that telemetry piece. They can do their follow-up visits rather than drive 100 miles for, you know, just a checkup when they had knee surgery or something for the remote areas. But the important thing for the telemetry is that it's trusted, capable at all times, right? Because sometimes we would get on and like wasn't working and all that stuff and nobody over mm -hmm. at the other hospital was really capable of fixing it or the clinic was really a deficit. And I mean, you always want to say affordable, but that technology has continued to, to advance. How do we upgrade it? It's able to, providers are able to take advantage of that capability that those upgrades are providing. And who keeps them informed? And how do we plan for that? Because you got to put in your budget and, and hospitals or health systems are notorious 
for the slow decision making. A lot of it is mm-hmm. a consensus, and you got to get a lot of buy-in from people. But at the same time, because you have the different specialties, different points of view, which is why I always come back to say you put the patient in the center. That takes out a lot of the egos because now you're building the infrastructure around them. But at the same time, you've got that need in this other community. How do you continue to provide that need with these upgrades that's affordable, that everybody wants to use, that they trust? And the fact is that provides a good view, too, because some of the ones we had, it was older at the time, but now I know it's more advanced, but it was, right, can we see the patient fully? How do we make sure that, you know, we're getting the right metrics on them, you know, the heartbeat, all that basic stuff, but even more advanced than that. A lot of follow-up visits have occurred for, during this time, the virtual visit side with orthopedic things. How do you have an orthopedist on the other side of, like us right now, making sure the full range of motion is there? you do it at the rehab place? Well, they didn't have a rehab appointment today. How do we make sure we set up a telemetry system that is capable of giving that kind of information they need? And maybe interoperability. So that solution could be, the data could be shared with, for example, EHR system. That's a key, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming now in, in every case that we have interoperability. That has to be the case. It needs to be all shared. Everybody needs to have access to it. The systems need to speak. Your question earlier about the, the downside of, of not having that with even paper charts. How does the other person know what's going on if they're not there at that time? Mm-hmm. And so the interoperability offers that option greatly. And all that data, again, being in there is necessary. So you're exactly right. You mentioned the interesting point. So what do you think main obstacles so that clinics and hospitals can have this roadmap, their technology roadmap? Because I think that decision makers understand the importance of having that, especially now. And what is the main roadblock you see? You think they do understand the necessity of that? I'm not. I'm not sure all of them do. When you okay. think about it, yeah. You think about it, CEO. He's looking at so many different things. Yeah, at least at, in in the media, there is a lot of uh, noise about that, about yeah. technology and healthcare. Yeah, and it's a necessary piece. There's a lot of noise about it, you know, from virtual reality to mm-hmm. rehab to looking at AI, machine learning. Yeah. Everybody throws that out in our discussions. But I think we need to be better educated from experts in the technology world about what all that means and which ones to help us decide the priorities. You know, you have your IT people in, in hospitals or health systems. They're incredibly intelligent, very good, but there's no way they can keep up on everything. And there's such differences running an EMR, making sure it functions every day and you've got the information versus what's happening in the virtual reality world or even AI or, or nanotechnology. Those are things that we're not always aware of. So you think about you're sitting at a desk and you're making decisions on staffing, finance, you're trying to look at investment for a year from now, whether you build a new wing of the hospital, you have all these different items. Mm-hmm. Who's helping me decide where I should spend my money and what's the benefit of it in the technology world? I don't really know. I'm asking different people, but it's only when I can fit it in time-wise. You're relying, if you have a corporate, you're relying on corporate somewhat, but a technology roadmap should be looked at every year and being discussed with experts in the technology world of all the new happenings, because it's impossible to keep up on everything. And I mean, it's impossible to buy everything too, because some of that's like, oh, that look how great that is. Well, it's not as good, you know, the next year because something else comes out. So that planning phase, I think is very important where you can meet the need and maybe the technology changes slightly each year, but you've got it three years from now. So by the time 
it comes, you've got the latest, right? That's the best. And I think that the need there is continual education. I like to have it in my meetings, a, a little portion of it at the bottom each time to talk about innovation and innovation for me falls within this arena. And that's everything from what we're talking about in terms of equipment, new, new imaging uh, with the AI, you know, that does some of this predictive analytics side to the ER, but also to apps things that go around with the patients being able to have access to us or do booking by their apple watch or their iphone whatever the case may be it's necessary and we need to be continually informed on what that means what do you think the best setup in terms of the teams who should do that who should develop this roadmap should that be like a dedicated person from it department or maybe decision makers who are clinicians what do you think on this now that's a great question usually information technology reports up to the cfo so that's part of what you do you're trying to look at advancement but you're not living the world of what all the clinical needs might be you're looking at you know, revenue cycle, and there's a lot of advancements technology-wise there that's helping a lot. But again, if smart people, it's hard to be aware of everything. So I think if you were to look at who should, it shouldn't be just one person. It should be a couple people responsible for it. You should have an innovation department that's looking at these things constantly mm -hmm. helping improve. You should also have some of your team members looking at it. Now, I'll give you a quick description. What usually happens is the Somebody from radiology says, we really need this new piece of equipment. And they come to the CEO or the manager and the, and the radiologist come to the CEO. And pretty soon that becomes a priority, right? But if you're looking at it, and I'll bring it back to the roadmap, you're looking at what you need to advance overall. You need that input from a number of areas. So why not have those people be part of a team looking at technology, providing you with that update regularly and having a meet and really, and I say that based on specialty. Why not specialties meeting on a regular basis throughout the year, quarterly perhaps, and talking about new technology. And at the end of the year, you rank those levels of importance because everybody's been hearing about all of them throughout the year. And then I did this in one place. It worked pretty well. There's a categorization for all the different technology. And then you had the kind of the, I would say battle because people still have their special interests, but the, the heated discussion to say, here's overall our priorities. And those overall priorities are not in part of the rest of the capital we're not talking about building or buying new beds we're talking about just the technology side and what mm -hmm. that means then you take that and you begin to plan out for the next couple of years using somebody like the you know technology experts that you can bring in from the outside even to say here's what you should be looking at over the next three to five years those three to five years then are including all those things that people have been talking about and their specialty expertise but now you have an outside resource looking at them as well you begin to plan them out and then you can do the financial side behind it but it's not competing with beds and all those things it's straight straight technology advancement and straight innovation i i think that works best yeah i think that's a great solution not to have a dedicated department because that would increase cost uh, but rather to have some committee where you have responsible person who also shares other responsibilities in the organization and then different experts join this committee and decide on the innovation yeah i think it's it's a great solution thank you and actually they're educating each other on what's good in their department too so sometimes yeah. you go hey there's some sharing of ideas that maybe we could go into something together or maybe yours is more important so i'll let you do it this year and then you help me next year on these type of things and it, it really builds the team culture to to make decisions overall but that education i, I call it the cross-fertilization of ideas 
really helps out the rest of the team because you're hearing from everyone versus, you know, just their silo. I don't mean that in a negative because they have incredible expertise. We put patients there and we build in this case the technology around where would we most benefit the patient? We talk about it as an overall organization, which builds a culture of momentum behind not only working together, but best decision making for technology. Yeah. So I asked about your opinion on what do you think the biggest challenges in general that healthcare organizations have, but can you classify somehow, I understand that different organizations have different issues, but maybe you can classify what issues healthcare organizations have with technology specifically. Any certain areas or just overall? Just overall that reflect on their business operations and that is the most concerning for management and for patients. I would say there's a number of areas. I have so many go through my mind that I'm just trying to prioritize. Because if you look at within the hospital, I would say, well, I'll go back to the ideal use of the EMR, EHR, is most important. And then the decision-making from the EHR. I say that as a problem, not because people look at it as a problem, as much as we don't gain the benefit from it. So that would be a priority that the hospitals have for utilizing our, our health systems for utilizing the care for the patient. The efficiency side, if we had better help or improved help on the efficiency to know where we should be changing things. So I think it would be freedom within structure, innovation within routine. So that routine of work you do every day, we're always looking at how we can take technology to improve the work people do every day, that routine. So I'll go back to the physician piece. Here's a physician that's your highest level licensing for care, and he's sitting at a computer having to input the data from his visit or the fact that he just saw a patient type thing. How could we improve that time spent by him that that information gets into the EHR without him personally having to type it? Can he do it by voice? Can he do it by, all those things go through. I'm not sure if I'm answering question directly, but we have the stuff we have and we think, how can we improve on it? So we're constantly, at least I was constantly thinking about what could I do to improve their lives? So the doctor gets in it and the nurse gets in on it and, and they're doing uh, dictation, right? I mean, it's really typing in the information on that patient. How could we improve that time spent in that? Could we actually have the monitoring of that patient, some of the things going on, be automated so it's going right into the EHR? better than we're doing now. Could they be meeting with the patient and rather than having to pull the computer and type while they're talking, could it be just that the voice commands, the voice interaction is taking dictation, right? How do we improve on those type of things? Most of our issues occur in care in the handoff. There's a drop of information, a drop of communications, that communication in the handoff. And that gap says, what can I do to improve that gap using technology, mm -hmm. technological, portion could solve a lot of problems for us, again, within a hospital. If you go to the OR, we're always wanting to see how we can improve. And, you know, the 3D printing has been great because it's changed the cost of, I watched a case where a neurosurgeon did brain surgery, you know, took out part of the skull and was able to do 3D printing right there and put a replacement. And in the past, they still had to go through some other things that was a cover temporarily, but in the past, they would have had the patient, you know, three days a week hospital covered with different kinds of things. Now they can do the 3D printing and, and temporarily take care of things. Those advancements are helping, but is there something else we could still be doing along the lines in, in an operating room that 
that uh, advances that care. So there's a lot of things that we could do, that we want to do, that would continue to improve. If there's some immediate things that you would say that are a problem, it's the, the information still coming from our clinics to our hospitals. That comes up a lot in terms of the, the patient's uh, information arriving in time. A lot of symptoms have advanced, but not all of them advanced yet. Some are mm -hmm. slowing down their implementation because of COVID or cost. And so those that don't have the same system for the clinics and the hospital, they don't talk. And so you're back to that same issue. In some cities, you have a number of hospitals and you've got clinics owned by different people. And so a patient coming from one clinic doesn't talk, you know, their computer systems yeah. talk to another. So we had a universal interoperability for all the systems, that would be the ideal. Those are still issues that come up. The same goes in for the discharge, right? They come in the ER, they go back to their clinic, the physician's like, wait, I don't have any information. Well, your systems don't talk, or we didn't get it to you in time, but usually it's the systems don't talk, because now it's all in the system if you're connected. And what is uh, the biggest problem you see with EMRs? Why they are not properly used? I, I think that we have still a lot of times the burdensome of manual labor for mm -hmm. input. Clinicians just don't want to do it, right? I, I wouldn't say they don't want to, but the, they know they have to. And it, is it the best use of their time? That's mm -hmm. one piece. The other piece around the EHR is we're not taking full advantage of all of its capabilities. It has a lot of mm -hmm. things that it can do that we're not taking advantage of. And I, I would say because it's a time issue, but also the People that use it, they step in, they use it, and they use it for what they need to. And until somebody else says, oh, did you know you can do it like this versus like mm -hmm. that? They're not always aware. There's been advances since they first learned. There's been this, there's been that. Just like any software, right? How do we yeah. continue to keep people informed of what's necessary? So problem becomes the full capability usage of the EHR and its uh, technology by educating the people. And how do we educate them? Maybe we do seven to eight minute little snippets of information mm -hmm. instead of saying let's have a full-blown class and pull everybody in right so they can just pull up on their own we've been doing that more and more but we're still not saying hey here's a way to advance you know we do our continuing education for our clinical staff and, and we can talk non-clinical staff as well but do we always include advancing the capability of their use of ehr or things like that normally we don't it's becoming aware of other things compliance and care different levels type thing but not necessarily advancing so that's why i brought up technology roadmap as an item but it's really and, and thinking of the ceos or different levels of executive leadership or at any level how do we stay up on everything we need help on that to know what the priority and what the capabilities of what we have are and we have a lot of different specialties a lot of different areas but how does it flow across well we need somebody to help with that sometimes because that capability might be there and we're not always aware of all those different types of things. But I think overall the capability knowledge needs to be enhanced. And that's what I said. Do you see that healthcare companies are willing to invest more in technology than in previous years? I do actually, I do. And I see it from all angles. So like I mentioned, I've been working a lot with the health systems and hospitals and some clinics still, but the, the discussions always come like, what else can we do? And they've been continuing mm -hmm. to increase their amount. We used to compare ourselves with the banking industry percentage, how much they spent on 
technology versus us and there's just a great deal more I remember exactly like they were 15 percent, and we were two or three so we're getting up there more and more now to do these advances and and you can see how the banking system world has been so much better right from atms many years ago they went to we were still doing the, the paper uh, these are actual numbers right two versus 15. yeah yeah wow yeah. Uh, to the point of where we've been continuing to increase but is it enough is it fast enough we still do a lot of physical things Again, mm -hmm. uh, virtual visits has increased a lot lately, but we could do more, and I think we should, and that technology is available too. And I say that from the point of view of both working with the private equity guys, but also from the point of view of all the venture capital startups, some incredible technology that if you have the hospital money, you'd say, oh, I should invest in these guys because that's going to really help me out on blank efficiency in my clinic, uh, access for the patient, uh, better quality, you know, more safe, all those type of things. But again, they're not always aware. So how do we make them aware? What's the education piece? Also, an interesting question. So when you advise providers on implementing technology, what is uh, the usual approach to measure return on investments? Oh, that's a great question. And then sometimes that's tough, right? Yeah. So there's the pillars when we talk about healthcare. It's, it's patient satisfaction, uh, mm -hmm. Position or, or employee engagement, you've got your your pillar for the uh, patient uh, safety, quality of care. You've got a number of these pillars. You you need to talk to them within these pillars about how it's going to impact them. You, you mean vendors? You need to ask vendors what is the prediction? How you can provide these numbers on this pillar? Yeah, the vendor needs to go in knowing they they need to speak hitting these different pillars. Mm -hmm. Each system has it, you know, framed a little bit different way. We have it. Growth is another pillar. Uh, mm -hmm. You've got these pillars and you say, all right, so if I'm going into sell this, I want to say within these pillars and then within these pillars, that's where you say the improvement. We improve patient safety by 20% because we've avoided this many people falling out of bed. You know, the alarm that could go off. We have a, a ability intervention for a patient that's, that's at risk to fall, fall risk type thing. We have something that we've shown at another hospital, we've saved this many lives or this many outcomes. So you tie it in these type of things. Let me give you a quick example. So hospitals, for example, a patient comes in, they're seen, depends on the category, but if they come back within 30 days through our ER, we don't get paid for them. And so there's an incentive, right? to make sure that they get the best care so they don't have to come back for another visit within at least that 30 days. If a vendor goes in and says, I can help you with this issue, mm -hmm. I'm listening, right? And how can you help? Oh, I can save you, you know, normally it's 15% uh, of people come back. I'm just making up numbers now. 15% mm -hmm. of people have come back for additional visit that you don't get paid for. I'll get it down to 3%. Oh, really? That's great. How do you do that? Tell them how you do it. Then my next question is always, so where have you done that before? <laughs> yeah. right? well, they need to be able to say, here's where I've done yeah. it. Here's how much money I saved. So you can go through each category and you say, all right, for my uh, physician engagement, I increased the physician engagement, every system I work with by, you know, 25%. How'd you do that? Oh, I did uh -huh. it by making sure they always were able to do voice with their EHR. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm being dramatic here. Oh, well, that makes sense. That would really help a lot. Probably more than 20 right by 50 percent it would improve our scores who have you done it with so you've got to be able to back it up with something mm -hmm. that becomes the issue for startups right 
Yeah. Same, with, same with the technology on the care side. You, you think about, all right, so I'm going to provide this. Let's go back to the one I gave about breast cancer. I'm going to be able to give you a tool. It's going to cost you, you know, $5 million. And that $5 million tool is going to, to save 60% of the women from having to have a biopsy because that's the ratio of false positives. Mm-hmm. That's great. Gosh, that's better care. So, you know, how much does that up, add up to? And that one I could check pretty easy, but I'm going to check with the vendor, right? See if he's, he or she's telling me what makes sense. And then the next step is, and who have you done that with, right? So all these areas of, I said about quality, safety, the fact that you've got patient engagement, you've got physician engagement or patient satisfaction, all those things, any category you take for a vendor, tell me how you're going to do it, how much you're going to save me or increase my scores positively, right? And then who you've done it with. And that helps a startup though. It's difficult, right? They haven't started, they haven't done it with anybody. So now you're in phase of, let me be a pilot for you and I'll show you. So, right. And then Mm -hmm. give you some equity in my company to be the pilot. And then we can go out together and sell it. (laughs) Do I think I answered your question? Okay. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of vendors come in. I I would have them tell me all the great qualities of their product, which sounds great. But again, we're back to just like selling the EHR to a physician that practice yeah we, we work with different startups and then we see that sometimes it's a challenge that founders create a solution but then you need to talk in the same language with decision makers in, in, in the provider side so that's what you need to understand about these pillars and how you basically <laughs> explaining your value to them that's you said it right on the nose that's what i've been called in to do a lot on my consulting <clears throat> who, who do i talk to Who's the decision maker? Because they've been already calling and and you know talking to different people and then nothing happens. And then the next piece is that I share with them. You got to talk the language. You know, you got to understand. But how could they? They haven't lived there. It takes a lot of years to explain. I had a long discussion with somebody yesterday, hour and thirty nine minutes, and here I am explaining about based on the questions. You know, it was a lot was around COVID, but there's other issues. Talking about hospitals, I had a patient in. And it was, I was being interviewed and Mm -hmm. I'm walking through all this stuff. And then the question was like, wait, so how does that work? So I'm living it, talking about it. It's like any industry, you know, your stuff, you're talking, Mm -hmm. assuming they know they didn't have any idea where I was coming from on in a hospital, for example, you've got really two governing structures. You've got the CEO and and all that he does and, and that team or she does. But you also have a medical staff that have to be in their charge of their own. They police their own as well, because you don't want a business person entering in the clinical side saying, do more of these. So they provide their own structure. That's why you have a medical staff president. You have all of the structure of department heads. But if you don't live there, people don't really know. Like, I can't get a hold of a physician. Well, what area you're at? Or the you know discussion used to be for me, you need to fire that physician. He didn't do something or she didn't do something. I said, well, the physician works for you. He actually doesn't work for me. You went and saw him in the clinic, right? So you need, but I'll help enter in because he wasn't employed by me. Now more hospital and health systems in America, especially have employed those physicians, but it just, just depends, right? But if you don't know, how do you know? So long-winded statement to support what you're saying, you have to know the language, but it's kind of hard to know the language, but I've been able to help a lot of companies do that. And actually it's fun because you don't realize like, oh yeah, I, I know this and let me, I can really help this company. Yeah. And those are good people that, that, you know, they're doing great things. That's why I say that I, I offer this piece. The startups are so fun to work with. They're so passionate. They're so driven in a positive sense because they're saving the world with, with what they've created. 
building on what you said. And they have uh, so much knowledge. I mean, the depth of their knowledge is incredible. But what they don't know can hinder them in terms of getting into these different systems. What I keep thinking, too, is, gosh, I wish I had more people in, in the hospitals or in my clinics that had that same kind of passion and drive. You know, we could conquer the world. They'd solve every problem, right? You know, I mentioned innovation within routine. Oh, my gosh, there would be nothing but innovation. It would be so awesome. So there's a balance there, right? I love the passion. What do you think uh, about custom solutions, uh, custom technology solutions for healthcare providers? So companies build their own stuff before, but now there are many off-the-shelf solutions. Do you see that there is a need and a value building your own stuff using your internal software team or external? Like, What do you think about that? That's a great question, too. It's kind of evolved over the years. I would share this piece. So when as you asked about early on about the paper chart, bringing in electronic medical records, we have had to go in many respects to the lowest common denominator because you had to have all the system specialties talk, right? You had your lab, you had your imaging, you had the, the data from the OR, the cases. The existing systems were so specialized for those departments, they were incredible. They gave them everything they needed. They'd been specializing, mm -hmm. customizing them over the years for, for laboratory, for example. Suddenly now you're bringing in this larger system that is, uh, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do that kind of thing. And it was unfortunate, but that's the only way you could get in one system that covers all the hospitals, the interoperability piece, because before a lot of them didn't talk. We're going back a little ways. Now they all talk, continue to improve. The customization, I think, is wonderful. I think it's necessary because they should be able to get that customization. And that customization should benefit the rest of the organization as well, or at least not harm it, right? The information the rest of the organization needs as that patient works through the different sections of a hospital or back to the clinic. That customization is incredible to help those people in those departments with what they need. It doesn't advance often or quickly enough. And that customized solution is often discussed. And yet the worry is what that impact is on the other hospitals. And you have larger systems that are saying, well, what's customized at this place for laboratories and in California is now what we want customized in Michigan because they look at different things. And so now you think about the resources to do the customization for, you know, 200 hospitals across the, the country that becomes unwieldy or overly expensive, right? So that customization mm -hmm. that you would like isn't always possible. But if we could do more customization, that's ideal. And if we could do it, that it's obviously more affordable. And if somebody from the outside had that option and we trusted them, absolutely bring them in and help that customization occur. Now, again, what IT guys will tell you within the system itself is, well, now when we do a, a massive upgrade, it's messed up, right? Because now the customization's either lost or you can't do it because, you know, customization here and not there. So that becomes the issue with a lot of these things. Because I, I would always say yes to everything and I would take all of the pilots for all the IT stuff and anything else I could come up with. Like, what can we do better? Yeah, and yeah. We would do do this customization piece out there and then then and telemedicine was one of those. We were real advanced and they decided to do we're gonna do it for the whole company, even though we were the pilot and we're taking it off the shelf and now it, everybody got it, but the capabilities were much less for us because we had had it customized. So everybody's like, wait a sec, we chose a system. You know, it's not as good as what we had. Why do we do that? So then it causes 
All right, let me explain. We got to do it across the company. We'll eventually do those upgrades, but it'll be a little while now because we got to do it as a system. You know, you can't just buy one thing, you got to buy it for everybody type thing. So there's that, that's the balance. And I hope I'm not elaborating yeah. too much, but mm -hmm. that's what we're going through in our decision making. I would say yes to every customization, but then I have to take into account all these other factors and it, it makes the it the business different. aspect of, of this. Yeah. yeah. And I hate it too, because I want to improve my site or my two states or my three states. But I'm part of a larger company, so I have to do the right thing for the overall company. If our vendors can help us make those determinations that, that improves everybody, yeah, we're good. And and this is what I tell the startups sometimes too. Take the take the smaller systems, the one or two smaller systems, so you don't have to deal with that larger decision making. Mm -hmm. You can get in the door, prove yourself. And now when you come back and have the discussion, now you're saying when they ask, my types ask, so who have you done it for? And you now have an answer versus trying to yeah. talk to a large system. Yeah, we'll show the life cycle and implementation. Yeah. And people can actually decide there. There's a lot of times with the bigger systems, you know, yes, so let me go, got to talk to this person. Mm -hmm. that type of yeah. Pretty soon now we're talking a couple of years, right? So. <laughs> yeah. And that don't, you know, I know it drives vendors crazy, but it drives you know me crazy too people like me get like oh i wish we could just get this we know it's going to help but we've got to work through the system again too, mm -hmm. even though we're trying to figure out ways yeah so we're coming to the end of an interview oh, and really? this is so fun ivan i don't want to stop let's go oh okay yeah, yeah we can <laughs> uh, yeah we, because we are uh, running out of the time so yeah last question what kind of technology trends do you see for the next three five years in healthcare yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. If I take the broader view, I would say, you know, the AI, the machine yeah. learning, all the predictive analytics stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm involved in a number of discussions on nanotechnology. So it depends on, you know, which industry you're talking, cancer or those type of things. Actually, I wrote out a bunch of them because I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many that, that I, I've been looking at or talking to different people about. I mean, maximizing the EHR, of course, is a, is a biggie. A lot of it depends on two about who's going to pay us for it. Government drives a lot of that because they pay a lot of the bills. So will they pay for it? That helps some of that. There's digitization of everything that we're talking about. That's going to continue to advance. But I think if we talk about, again, those pillars and say access, there's a number of tools coming out. Access, I've seen that, that is really helping out. You mean access for rural areas? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. The access to the larger care, the higher level of mm -hmm. care, yeah the ability to do you know the monitoring things i've seen it where people have been discharged from er and some of the monitoring tools we didn't have before so i would say the clinic without walls we keep talking about the hospital at, at home i don't know if you talk about it so much there but in the us they talk about a lot you lower costs with your family that will continue to advance you know there's a, well, obviously risk involved in that i think i think that the the virtual side will continue. The training that's going on for physicians with virtual reality is advancing a great deal. And I think that's helping a lot, not just physicians, but advanced caregivers are doing a lot of virtual training. That will continue, I think, for training for people to specialize even more. Well, some of that, you know, when we talk about some of those things, the patient willingness, I think is not so much on the, the training that way, but some of the, the other things, depending on the generation, there's certain levels of what they're accepting to the type of monitoring or even in, in terms of uh, virtual visits advanced for everybody, but certain things that people feel like they should still be touched and felt with and meet with a you know physician or a nurse up close type thing. There was another thing I, I come up with that 
the robotics, that's going to continue mm -hmm. to improve too. I see that a lot coming up. And that's the robotics for surgical side and other care, but also for, you know, the exoskeletons and some of those type of things. You're seeing more and more advancement in that. That's exciting. I brought the nanotechnology already. But the specificity for each patient, that continues to advance. And I think that that is the way we should go. And we Personalization. Will. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that's key. And that's the more the care side, but there's going to continue to be advancements in revenue cycle, for example. So the payment side, the, the companies have come out that are so advanced in that now that even allow for different levels. And again, it's probably more U.S. based on some of that, but they're really going through some, some ways to help the the systems themselves, the healthcare systems, go through that process so the bills are more accurate and all those type of things. But also the fact that the patient can set up different structures for how they pay and all, uh, as opposed to what exists in the past. So anyways, on the business side, there's a lot of advancement there going on as well. So, you know, that's why I say it's the best time to be in healthcare ever for any aspect from the business side to the care side, because we're continuing to advance. Mm -hmm. And if I could offer this too, it depends on leadership. And I'll go just a sec to my book, but it's really not for that purpose, other than I try to mention it in there. The leadership determines what that culture is like. Every time you speak or go on a floor or, or I'm talking about rounding, if you send an email, all that communicates the priorities of that physician, of that, that CEO to the physicians, to your whole team. And that sets a culture about the advancement of technology. So mm -hmm. getting a buy-in of a, a CEO or executive team that's really in technology or understands the importance of technology. And you can do that buy-in, I, I think, again, by educating them to your vendors, audience, and educating them, but also you know, setting out the, maybe it's not a formal roadmap, but here's things you should be looking at for the future. Kind of your question to me. There's so much, like, which one should I focus on? Okay, what's your issues? But knowing the healthcare landscape helps you already know what some of the issues are and helps support mm -hmm. them in that because yeah. they have a lot of issues. So help me help me help them prioritize. But the leadership sets the tone. They're they're really ones setting direction. They're the ones providing the inspiration, right? They're the source of energy and inspiration. They're the ones that are building on the culture from the past, but changing it for the future. So you're taking the best from the past and looking out for the future of how you can build on that. And that technology can help on that because if you're thinking innovation and what you need to do to advance it's an exciting time versus the drudgery of routine you know innovation within routine the whole thing about the uh, overall the structure if you have freedom within structure and innovation within routine i think you can change the world at any level but that ceo that leadership sets a tone because if i'm just showing up at admitting every day and I'm taking, or if I'm thinking, how can I improve this? How can I have this information from the patient before they arrive? So when they arrive, I'm just saying, is this you? Thank you. Let's take you down for your lab tests, right? That changes the world. So we can do that. We do that technology, but we also do that based on leadership setting the tone. So I bring that up as really important. And uh, that is uh, what you outline in your book, how to set up this culture, what management wants. Yeah, that's a portion of, of my book. My book's set up to help the aspiring leader that someone wants to go into leadership, but also to remind those in, in leadership roles what's important and what to focus on and kind of the environment you're operating within. I, I made the comment about working through the system to get approval. Well, there's some people who want to support you and there's some people that don't want to support you, right? How do you get through those different pieces and get more people to support you and maybe you can help isolate those that, that don't want to. So I cover that in my book. I, I always set up as a leader a book club, that's what I called it. And my executive team would be 
I'd say required, but encouraged. <laughs> to read a book. High, um, highly encouraged. <laughs> and I would have them read the book. And in healthcare, you, you kind of just read your own things. If you read it all, you read your articles and they don't have much time. But there's a whole world out there doing incredible advanced things, right? Other industries doing incredible things. And we're not always aware of that stuff. So I would assign books. I always said that everybody's going to get to choose a book, you know, but it never happened. I always chose all the books, but I always thought, well, someday I will, but this one's really important. So let's read this this month. And then we would go off site to have a discussion and I might buy them adult beverages, right? So we have a, a talk. And in that talk, we would discuss what we learned from the book that we could apply to our industry. So we'd read about Amazon, we'd read about, you know, whatever the case would be, what can we do here that we could be applying? And it made for some great discussions and I'd say, let's take three things back to do it. That thing grew. I'd have my executive leadership team. Pretty soon I had physicians coming and I have 30 people in this discussion. It was really fun. So when I wrote my book, here's what I'm bringing it back to. When I wrote my book, I was thinking, I want to make it easy chapters. I want to tell a lot of stories and I want to have questions in the back to facilitate these discussions to help new leaders or even be mentored by more experienced leaders to the new leaders or even training for those new leaders as part of, hey, you need to pay attention to this. Here's what a leader's being watched at on a regular basis when they interact with staff. Here's what you need to think about when you say something. Here's the tone you set when you come on again onto the floor. I have a number of chapters and each chapter is a rung on the ladder climbing up to mm -hmm. become a better leader. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the thing, right? So the heart of leadership. It was fun to write too. I, I hadn't written a book before. I've written a lot of articles. And it's actually kind of fun to, to talk about. So thank you for allowing me to talk about that piece. So. It never ends in leather. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's true, actually, because no matter where you are, you want to get better and and climb up to the next level. Most people do, or a lot of people do. And so, what do you need to be thinking of? So, I think if I pull this out right now, and I say, you know, which chapter would be best? I'd say they're all really important. But even in the back, there's a place for notes. But I think. I have to go back and look now. I think I have eight chapters and I do a little putting it together and I have a bunch of quotes from, you know, the great leaders of the past, like Churchill or Mother Teresa or you know, people that set example. And I have a section too of really what I say. And I mentioned a couple of those, but keeper of the culture, source of energy, encouragement and inspiration. The CEO also has to be a reminder of reality. You can't always be, oh, gosh, it's so great out there. You say, no, this is the reality of what we have. We only have so much money or we're going to have a tough time this next year. So let's plan for it now. You can't be all talking, you know, oh, it's so great all the time. I have a bunch of different, even Machiavelli and Helen Keller. I have quotes from them. Mm -hmm. Let me say uh, the chapters, uh, each chapter is one of the rungs. So I have eight rungs mm -hmm. that you climb up. So maybe the next book will be, you know, rung 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll do a book together, Ivan. We should do that, huh? Okay, we can discuss that. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, thank you. So I want to end the interview with a kind of light exercise called Rapid Fire Round. I will oh. ask you several personal questions and you come out with the answer, whatever you like. Do you have a hobby? I have a hobby, yes, a couple. I read a lot. Mm -hmm. That's, I consider that a hobby. I, I like to travel mm -hmm. as a hobby. But I, I do martial arts, Western martial arts. And so that's Fiori or, or in German, it's Fuckbook. So it's the, you know, you have the Eastern martial arts or actually is a Western martial arts, which is a blast. And it, it didn't continue as well as the Eastern martial arts, but it's there. And you even fight with a sword and stuff. It's really cool. So I should show you my swords. I have a bunch of swords. 
And what is the location that impressed you the most? I love Salzburg, Austria. I love Vienna. Mm -hmm. I love Prague. I like St. Petersburg. Those are probably the key places. Really, Salzburg and, and Vienna top, Prague and St. Petersburg are both nice cities too. Great culture, great opera. I'm, that's another hobby. I, I'm a nerd for opera. I like opera a lot. And then I have a, a, a daughter that dances ballet, and she was actually in dancing in St. Petersburg the last couple of years. So I, I uh, of course, go over there to see her and watch her dance and all that stuff. But the opera there is awesome too. And I'll, I have not been to Ukraine. I plan on going there. I tried to get in, but some of the issues came up with what's going on, especially now. I was in Belarus, Minsk, yeah. And that's a really nice city too. Wonderful people. They had really nice opera there too and nice ballet. It was good. And from there, I was going into Ukraine and I couldn't get in. The walls came up and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I plan on going there. And what is the piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you said rapid around here. I gave a long answer. I'm oh, sorry. Patience. I was always really uh -huh. assertive, uh -huh. would you say? I, I try not to use the word aggressive, but assertive. I wanted to be a CEO soon. I thought, hey, I can do this. And so I would move up and I probably should have <laughs> been more patient. Yeah, that's probably, still probably, that's something I should work on. I want to improve things soon. Let's go. We don't have much time. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or even in meetings, let's talk about this. So we talk, discuss, and I'll say, all right, let's shoot holes in it shoot holes in it. Once we made a decision, make sure we made the right decision. All right, let's go. And sometimes people still aren't there. And so I need to be more patient to let them catch up. Mm -hmm. To be on the same yeah. page to move on. I think that's a perfect way to end uh, today's interview. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Rodney, for your insights on implementing technology in healthcare organizations. I like the piece about pillars, about how startups should think when they implement their solutions in healthcare organizations. So I think that that is very helpful from the person with your experience and background. Before we finish, what is the best way to get in touch with you? So people maybe oh, want to have some sure. consultation or maybe to buy a book. Oh, yeah. So Amazon has a book. But yeah. I have a website. It's uh, rodneydwriter.com. And so I have mm -hmm. articles. I just wrote another one on innovation and leadership. I think I have an innovation. I have another one coming out next week on leadership because I was overseas. And so I, I talk about the view from overseas. Mm -hmm. And so Rodney D. Ryder's website and my email is uh, rodneydwriter at gmail.com. So that's a good way to reach. And the book is on Amazon or you can buy it from my website either way. But you've been great, Ivan. Thank you. Great questions. Great interview. You're very kind. So I appreciate having a chance yeah. to, to partner with you on this. And I'm really grateful. So I, I look forward to continuing the relationship in the future. So anything I do to help you, please, or any of, you know, obviously your audience, but anything I do to help you. I don't know yeah. all that you, who you like on, on your podcast, but I can introduce you to people if you want or other portions of who you want to interview. Happy to help. Yeah, thank you.